98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station, Weekly Blast. If Sunday's game in Seattle were Scrabble and not football, the Cardinals would have a rare chance at double word score. And because this game is a division game, which means it counts double, and because this game is the last game before the return of DeAndre Hopkins. Win on Sunday, and this unseemly, ugly, contentious start to the football season will be framed as a victory. It's incredible, but it's true. A 3-3 three and three record without DeAndre Hopkins Hopkins was the goal from day one and a record that would trump all of these naggy, nagging, yucky details. But if they lose in their familiar, impotent fashion, well, who knows what's going to happen then? Because we know that Cliff Kingsbury is currently the odds-on favorite to be the next head coach to lose his job, especially after his iffy game day acumen display came back into focus against the Eagles. Cardinal fans, however, know Kingsbury is going no place simply because of that ridiculous contract extension he was given before the season, and that fact only exacerbates our situation. It makes fans feel helpless, like they're chained to a bleak future, and it makes it seem like the owner doesn't care, not as much as the rest of us, and that's exactly how we used to feel in the dark ages of Cardinal football, especially when Kingsbury isn't even the best head coach on the staff. That would be Vance Joseph, who might be the real MVP of the season so far, especially if his defense delivers another victory on Sunday. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable. They got two great locations. You can find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Uh, you know, well, I've actually played in Washington in college and uh, been to a couple of their games and, uh, you know, I've, over the couple of years been playing at, at, at Seattle and everything. And, uh, you know, their crowd is is vicious, you know what I'm saying? So they'll uh, they'll make sure that we're hearing and make sure that we're trying to, uh, that they're trying to keep us out of the game as much as they can. So, uh, we got to come in there and be ready to go. That is Jalen Thompson on the vicious Seattle crowd that the Cardinals will face. Won't be a scenario like uh, we saw in Glendale last Sunday with mm-hmm. uh, you know a mix of, of Eagles fans. There will be Cardinals fans, and Cardinals fans, to their credit, they travel much better than they used to. Uh, just not poised for a stadium takeover in Seattle. I also look at these two teams, uh, division foes, Bick, mm-hmm. at this point of the season, and... The difference in how you get where you're getting, where you've been, and that by by saying that I mean two, two, and three teams mm-hmm. in Seattle. I think there's probably a healthy dose of over the moon that hey, oh, yeah. things things have gone this well, even though the defense is really bad. That they're two and three, yeah. two and three in Arizona right now is perplexing and frustrating, and without uh, a doubt, and, and in some cases damning. It's about expectations, man, and mm-hmm. it's in Seattle. There probably weren't a whole lot of them. There's probably a lot of fear that what is our organization doing? What are they thinking? How are we supposed to win football games with Drew Locke and Geno Smith? What are we doing here? And the fact that it is flipped completely, and as Mark Schlereth told us yesterday, the people in Denver feel like they bought a lemon, and the people in, in Seattle are like, Geno Smith, have you seen his metrics? He ranks at the very top of football. And so I, I think all of that kind of feeds this feeling that for you couldn't find two different two and three teams going up against each other. Remember how insane we thought it was that Seattle was yes. siding with Pete Carroll yes. instead of Russell Wilson? Yes. It's looking... It's right now, it's looking pretty now. good. They've got all those draft picks. What did Denver give up to get Russell Wilson? Key to the city. Yeah, I'm guessing it was a lot. 
And, and so you've got that. So you've got incoming assets. You've got this rebirth of this quarterback. Now, the big thing about the Seahawks really is, is Geno Smith going to come tumbling down to earth? And will Vance Joseph help spur that with aggressive pass rush scheming with a defense that has been very, very sturdy for mm-hmm. the most part. And, and and per the blast, when you take a look at the assets that Cliff Kingsbury has to work with, with the assets that Vance Joseph has to work with, and it's it's completely different. Completely. I mean, J.J. Watt was once a defensive player of the year. He's not at that caliber anymore. Right. And Zach Allen is ascending and good. And Marcus Mm -hmm. Golden is a good bit player and a good team guy. And but I mean, this is this has really been a well coached, well coordinated, very well prepared unit. And and to think that some people were ripping Vance Joseph after that opening week loss to Kansas City for blitzing too much. I wonder I wonder how much how loudly they're complaining today. Yeah, I wonder what the score I, would have been as they did not blitz that much. Okay, I well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I, I read a story recently that okay, there's there's contention about Cliff Kingsbury and what he brings to the table. If the season doesn't get better, and say they finish eight and nine, you know, seven and ten, whatever, and say the defense overperforms and the head coach underperforms. Vance Joseph gets a job elsewhere, and Cardinal fans are left with Cliff Kingsbury. How are they going to feel about that? When Vance Joseph is the guy that's really making an impact from a leadership position. Now, again, it's early. Cliff Kingsbury can turn this thing around, and Cliff Kingsbury, the referendum on him, that begins when DeAndre Hopkins returns. Because if if this man can't form a winning, dominant offense with those pieces, then we really got issues. Yeah, um... (sighs) But that to me is also still frustrating. That the, the thought going in was, you knew back in April DeAndre Hopkins wasn't going to be around for the first six weeks. We talked about it. He got plenty yep. of time to devise something in terms of an attack to to overcome his loss. I don't think that's happened. No. I don't think the offense has been the reason that the Cardinals have two wins to this point. There's still a chance they come out of this three and three. Um, that to me is still frustrating. This game, you might be able to tell. <coughs> what the outcome is going to be by the first Cardinals possession. Mm-hmm. Because you've got two extremes. You've got the Cardinals who can't do anything with their first possession. They haven't scored a point in the first quarter all year long. The Seattle defense has been horrible to start games. I, I went back and looked at all five of their games. Mm-hmm. Big. Uh, opening week against the Broncos, Denver went nine plays, 77 yards, got a field goal. Next week against the 49ers, San Francisco goes 11 plays, 73 yards, gets a field goal. Next week against the Falcons, Atlanta goes seven plays, 75 yards, they get a touchdown. Detroit, they actually, Seattle forced a three and out, but Detroit, um, they, then they turned the ball over on the punt. Detroit took over possession and scored on the next play. A touchdown, a 32-yard touchdown pass. And then last week, the Saints go 10 plays, 41 yards, they get a field goal. That has been the tone setter. Yep. This is one of those classic something has to give mm-hmm. scenarios going into this yeah. game. And if the Cardinals can somehow find a way to get points, you know that would be a huge psychological lift on that first drive to get points and have some success. Yep. If they don't, it could crater in the other direction. Well, and that's and this is this is one of the things where it it's gone from the realm of oh, isn't this veered to what uh, what exactly does this mean? And the fact what it means is 
that this offense, when you script plays at the beginning of the games, you are getting what Cliff Kingsbury thinks is the best of his offense, the plays that are best suited to win this game. And if you can't move the football based on his scripted plays, and the only time you move it is when the quarterback starts running and improvising, that's not an offense. No. That's not an offense, and that's this is where we're at with this football team. There is a there is a a, a, a real fear that the NFL has seen everything Cliff Kingsbury has to offer and has an answer for everything he has to offer. Now, when you throw DeAndre Hopkins on a football field opposite Hollywood Brown with Zach Ertz on the line of scrimmage with you know functioning running backs, well, then maybe maybe talent will prevail. But at the same time, this is this mm-hmm. is a week the offense better better operate. Um, I, I'm excited for Eno Benjamin. I think Eno's got a potential for a, a 150 yard or more kind of game uh, because the 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 combination of his opportunity and the Seattle shakiness and their defensive front seven. Yeah. I, so I, I think the pieces are here for a good performance. They just, they better make it happen. Yeah, more on the Cardinal Seahawks coming up as the show goes on. If you subscribe to the Bickley and Murata podcast, subscribe right now on your iPhone or Android. Never miss any of the show. It's the Bickley and Murata podcast. It's brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams, Realty East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That is higherprice.com. Coming up next, ESPN definitely had a hand in Robert Sarver deciding to sell the Phoenix Suns. Could ESPN have a hand in Dan Snyder giving up his ownership of the Washington Commanders? We'll find out, but the story's out there. We'll get into it next. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station, Bickley and Murata Mornings. It is the Thursday edition, Bickley and Murata Mornings. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Sarah Cazell, Jared Carlin, taking you up until 10 o'clock this morning as we come to you live from the Auction Community Studios. Tonight, if baseball's not your bag, baby, maybe you're, you're going to be a Thursday night football viewer on, on Prime Video. We know Jared's dad is all equipped yeah. to do that. Jared, being the dutiful son, yeah, went over yeah. to his dad's retirement home and dialed him up, man. It's, it's so nice. It's now now for him to actually <laughs> find the app and, and turn it on is another <laughs> right. thing. But right. yes. are you expecting right. a call around five ten tonight, Jared? I'm on Hurricane, Netflix. Get over here, Netflix. <laughs> I can't find the game. <laughs> Um, Something about dating or siblings? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's right. It's that a Game of Thrones show. Weird place to get lost. Right? Um, it yeah. is. It is a battle for the uh, diehards tonight. It's the Bears hosting Bears. the Washington Commanders, who are in the news for different reasons today. Uh, and on ESPN.com, a very lengthy piece, an investigative piece. That was written by Don Van Natta, uh, Jr., Seth Wickersham, and uh, Tisha, Tisha Thompson. Tisha Thompson. Ugh, easy for me to say. About uh, Daniel Snyder, according to sources, having dossiers of information and dirt on other league owners and Commissioner Roger Goodell yeah. that he feels could, quote, blow up the league. Now, right. there's conflicting reports. All the team spokespeople that are quoted in this piece say, oh, that's that's he's got nothing like that. But when you uh, talk to people outside of the Washington Commanders organization, there seems to be this belief that uh, Daniel Snyder has just that. That 
might explain why he's still in power in the first place, Beck, quite honestly. Well, listen, now that that's out there, that Daniel Snyder believes he is protected by dirt he has on the commissioner and fellow owners, this whole thing, is it feels a little bit different now. Mm-hmm. It really does. And what kind of hand food is that, Carlin? What you got going oh, there? This is a peach. Hey, hey hold peach. Peach. <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't <laughs> ask to be brought on the air when yeah, I was eating I'm it. Sorry. Didn't make fun of me well, for sorry. That's, you know, eat at your own peril, man. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> all right. So, I have a question about hand fruit. I'm very consistent with this stuff. Every time, every time you rub your eyes, you're going to hear about it. Yes. Every time you have a hand fruit. In the show, you're going to hear about it. Do not rub a hand fruit in your eyes, Jared. <laughs> I'm so glad I sit in this seat and my my view of Jared is obscure. Do you remember the... Uh, Dick is the watchdog. Under oh, yeah. the old regime, before Sarah, when we had... Uh, Eric Cohen on the show, mm-hmm. he would be in this seat and I would be over there That's and you couldn't right. see I me could for a while and it like, threw off the mojo. That's right. It did. That's exactly right. And then there was a time where I was working from home and couldn't see anybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. Talk about no mojo. Yeah. Oof. Oh, those were joyous times. Okay, so so tonight I, I think that this is, I mean, this is the story that is kind of uh, the undercurrent of this football game tonight. And it and it really is, what is, is the NFL now really kind of plotting to kind of get Daniel Snyder out um, is is this ESPN story something that is kind of done in conjunction with them? Like many people believe the ESPN story with with NBA and Robert Sarver happened to be, but it's very the the, the stories aren't that dissimilar, and it's it's something where a, a lot of the quotes in that story are quite something. And as you pointed out, there's a there's an anecdote that a very young Daniel Snyder in 2003 they were in a meeting and he's trying to get the Super Bowl to land over Maryland at FedEx Field. And the Cardinals want the 08 Super Bowl to kind of celebrate this new football stadium they're building in Glendale. Mm-hmm. And 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 the story illustrates that the Bidwell family has a very good reputation within the league, which is very true. They're very they've always been very good partners. Um, they you know they don't they don't cause a lot of issues for the group, sure. if you will. And Michael and, to this to this day is on several different committees. Several different committees. committees. He's brought a lot of competence. He's brought a lot of expertise in some areas. He's yeah he's he's and, and even and even as Bill Bidwill was probably more it was more liked in the ownership circles because he was just a get along kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He was and he he wasn't greedy and he wasn't causing issues. He was probably more revered by his peers than he was by Cardinal fans. I can say that quite confidently. But I then again, fellow owners weren't exactly threatened by his football team all that often either. Also so true. Yeah. So so in this 03 meeting, Daniel Snyder's ripping the bid wills and he's ripping the idea of a Super Bowl in Arizona and and the owners aren't hearing it. So they stage a secret vote and they give the Super Bowl to, to Arizona. And the bid and Michael Bidwell and, and Bill Bidwell and apparently Daniel Snyder just blew up at everybody. And it's like, okay, who is you? <laughs> right? Oh, the petulant when they don't get their way. <laughs> yeah, that's really rich people re- acting poorly when they don't get their way. We can all relate to that to some, to, to some degree in our yeah. lives. Mm-hmm. What's that word? No. I'm not familiar. <laughs> you that, can't say that do to you me. Know is who that I am? pronounced? Is that do you no? Not, right. Do you not know who I am? Yeah, do you not know who you're so. dealing with here? <laughs> yeah, listen, it's so. I, I, as somebody who who really believes this country is in bad need of an ethical renaissance across the board, I'm here for this kind of stuff because I, I don't think 
people should run football teams with workplace cultures like the commanders ha- have alleged to have had. The, the stories coming out of there are horrific. If you had a parent who, who had a daughter who had to work for Daniel Snyder, ugh. So, so I'm here for this. But we just went through a situation similar, not identical, similarities in the Robert Sarver situation. It all started with the ESPN article last November that led to an investigation that led quite recently to Robert Sarver saying, hey, I'm, I'm tapping out. After he got a year-long suspension from the commissioner and a $10 million fine from Adam Silver. Mm-hmm. The biggest difference in all of this, and maybe this is just cynical me, is that what is being written about by ESPN today is that uh, Daniel Snyder has dirt on all of these fellow owners, that he has dirt on Roger Goodell. That might be the simple fact on why he's still owning the team. Might be. Maybe Robert Sarver didn't have any leverage against Adam Silver. Mm -hmm. And Adam Silver, while he got immediate criticism for what people viewed to be a very lenient sentence against uh, Robert Sarver, that got the ball rolling because the 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 lack of severity of that of that punishment led to people to start talking. Right. It led to owners right. or uh, business owners and That's partners right. and sponsors say we're pulling out if he's there. It led to the executive director of the uh, NBA PA to say he should be removed. Mm-hmm. It led to players like LeBron James and Draymond Green making statements. Maybe Daniel Snyder does have all of this, and that's why Roger Goodell has acted well, or not acted in the, the way that he the has. The fact that the investigation of the NFL was done without paper, <laughs> I mean, like, come yeah. on. What what are you doing here? We what in a, a paperless shame. society. Just logged in our brains. Meanwhile, it's all up there. Meanwhile, finally, if you're watching, if you do tune in to watch the Bears, if you watch the Bears tonight, they are going to be wearing putrid orange uniforms. It will be the first time in team history they've worn a helmet any other color than navy blue. Hmm. It, they looked. It, it's their Joe. They look like candy corn. Since the leather ones went away, though, right? Right. <laughs> right. Since the leather ones, Bronco Nagurski, candy corn. Are we in or Daniel out? Driscoll. I don't think they like candy corn. Out. Why yeah. you like candy corn? No, I'm also out. Yeah, I think that's. Don't accuse me of such things, Jeez. Not even one bite, because one bite of candy corn. Yeah, I, I, I don't hate it like most people do. Yeah. Okay. It's I an like, odd consistency. I like candy corn on the cob. That's the only way I'll eat it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's candy, candy corn. People candy used corn. to say that at, about fruitcake at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And fruitcake is good. Yeah, they all, every, uh, every major holiday has a food associated with it that's always associated with it that somehow people don't ever like. See, fruitcake is good? It's like a filter fish on uh, Passover. That's a good mock my world topic. What are we doing today instead? Huh. All right, whatever. <laughs> it is like, yeah. Well, listen, you, you can't get me within a mile of gefilte fish. You can have all of that yourself. That's I'm, all you, I'm that's all you Garrett. That, that I heard somebody say fruitcake is good. I've been led to believe that it's so bad that I've never tried it. Really? Yeah. It's surprisingly good. Have you had it, Jarrett? No. You've never had fruitcake? No. Nope. Sarah? Well, no. All I've ever heard is how trash it is, so I just don't even. No, it's actually it's actually good. Sounds good. Fruit is good. Cake is good. Let's get together as a show. How about a hand fruit cake? (laughs) I had an idea for an event. (laughs) We we get together as a show. All right. We have gefilte fish. We have fruit cake, and we watch hot tub time machine together. (laughs) What do you say? Candy corn. (laughs) I'm in. Candy corn. We've all had candy corn, Jarrett. Okay. Uh, Coming up, celery soda. We'll get a a closer look (laughs) at this week's. Week, week six opponent for the uh, Arizona Cardinals, the Seattle Seahawks. We'll check in with Stacy Joe Ross from Seattle Sports 710 next.
Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Live from the Oxygen Community Studios here on this Thursday, Cardinals, Seahawks. Still don't know what time the game is going to start. They'll get around to uh, coming up with a start time, depending on what happens in the uh, ALDS between the Mariners and the Astros. But here to give us a closer look at the opposition, the Seahawks from our sister station, Seattle Sports. Stacy Joe Ross joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Stacy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you? Hello, doing, hello. doing well. Uh, we were having a discussion earlier today, Stacy, about uh, two and three, what it means to these two franchises. And, and correct me if I'm speaking out of school here, but two and three in Arizona sucks right now. I'm guessing two yeah. and three in Seattle is probably pretty celebrated. Am I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it, right? Because I was like, well, I don't know. Two and three is cool for me. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, right. but I thought that this uh, I thought this club would be looking at, like, number two overall. Here I am trying to do the math in my head of, like, okay, you got two first-round picks. What's enough to trade up to number one? And uh, little did we expect Geno Smith and the offense to come out looking like one of the better units in the league. Like, I do think that over time he's going to run into some obstacles and that's not going to even out per se. I think they've genuinely got some nice weapons on that side of the ball including probably one of the better offensive lines they've had in a while. No offense Russell Wilson bad timing on that one but uh, but but two and three considering how awful the defense has been and the expectations for this year not a bad place for Seattle. How is Geno Smith actually doing this and how is this being received especially the way Russell Wilson is struggling in Denver? I have no idea. I can only think it's like this weird cosmic, uh, like just the the NFL gods playing jokes on us. Like, wouldn't it be funny if Russell Wilson left and then we gave Seattle the best offensive line and an offense that was like throwing downfield all the time? Like, that would just be so funny, right? Right. And that's exactly what's what's happening. Russell Wilson has four touchdowns and Geno Smith is the most efficient quarterback in all football, which, I mean, I can can only assume that so many of us called heading into this one. No, I think, um, you know, I think Geno Smith, uh, does fit you think about quarterbacks you compare Geno Smith to, right? You think maybe like a Jared Goff, Eli Manning. Well, that's kind of the background of offensive coordinator Shane Waldron, who comes from Sean McVay's system. He's a former tight ends coach, but he's the one that was responsible for coordinating so much of that pass game with Jared Goff. He's got now a quarterback that can do checkdowns, frankly, can see the middle of the field, can take advantage of tight ends. Russell Wilson was looking for the home run ball, and it looked special on tape, and it was amazing, and it got him success through 10 years, but but that's not quite Shane Waldron's game, so I actually think this is Shane Waldron's chance to be at his best as offensive coordinator, and what you've seen on the field is a reflection of Gino genuinely developing as a quarterback over eight years as a backup, and uh, and also Shane Waldron getting a chance to take advantage of all of the weapons they have, not just DK and Tyler. Wow. Yep, Stacy Joe Ross, our guest from uh, Seattle Sports here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Uh, I've you're not the first person I've heard suggest say that hey, with with Russell Wilson being gone. Uh, it maybe unlocks Shane Waldron to actually run the offense they wanted to run instead of running the, the, the Russell Wilson offense. But yeah. and a lot of the uh, attention, as you well know, has been placed on Seattle's passing game with Geno and those receivers. The running game's been really productive too. When you have three running backs at this point of the season averaging six yards a carry, that's pretty good. And you mentioned the offensive line. Rashad Penny's out uh, for the for the rest mm-hmm. of the year. How much uh, d- does that run game suffer without him? And and how much can we expect from from Kenneth Walker? this weekend oh it's 
It's huge. I mean, Rashad Penny, for all of his injuries, for all the time missed, was really your only sure thing in that running back room. Uh, you're going to see DJ Dallas's name on the depth chart, and he is kind of like, um, I'm sure you guys have the equivalent of, of him out in Arizona, where it's like a preseason star that ends up not being utilized as much, and then all your fans text in and listen, and they say, why not, you know, fill in the blank, this running back? And it turns out that it's just genuinely because there are other guys that are, are a little bit better. So DJ Dallas can be great. He can be explosive, but he is not their starter, was not their starter. That was Rashad Penny. Losing him is a huge hit. Rashad Penny, also your biggest running back. You wouldn't realize it, but, I mean, he's been the biggest running back in that room for a while. He's no Derrick Henry, but he can be a bulldozer if you need him to. And so it's really heartbreaking. Ken Walker, uh, quite quite a bit smaller. He's He looks smaller in person than he does on the field. Uh, so it's surprising that they're using him as kind of an every down back, and I would expect them to uh, moving forward. I think you're going to see Ken Walker jump right into more of a starting role unless he starts making mistakes. I think that the role is now his with DJ Dallas kind of offering kind of a support role as opposed to DJ Dallas slipping into the starter role, but obviously we'll see what it looks like on Sunday. We were uh, speaking with Mike Sandow recently. I'm, I'm sure you're very well familiar with Mike. Obviously spent a, a career up in, in the Pacific mm-hmm. North, Northwest. He said in all his time covering the Seahawks, he's not sure he's seen a worse Pete Carroll-led defense in all his time are they underachieving or do they just not have talent how how vulnerable is that defense going to be this Sunday incredibly vulnerable I was talking with uh Josh Weinfest who was like yeah Arizona's down to the last running back and I was like congrats on getting 100 rushing yards (laughs) (laughs) what a game for you guys this is going to be amazing uh it's a little bit of both so if you um, look at the rushing stats, that one kind of jumps out. Like if you weren't a Seattle fan at all and you were like, let me understand this defense a little bit, you would look at um, the rushing yards surrendered this year and you would say, wow, that's really different from years past. If you take a step back and you look at overall yards surrendered or the lack of takeaways or the lack of sacks, you would say, oh, I'm seeing now a pattern over several years in a row where this team, uh, which used to be a bend but don't break defense, is very much bending and then breaking. So they've usually found some way, whether it's you know, leading the leads in sack after sacks after week eight or getting some takeaways to turn things around about midway through the season to to kind of pad those stats and, and make the season look a bit better. But this defense as a whole has just been going on a downhill spiral for a couple years in a row. And this year, Mike Sando's right. It is the worst version of the defense I've seen. So part of it is Uh, just attrition of a defense that is getting worse and worse over time because they just don't have the superstars that they used to and haven't found a way to uh, replace that production. The other half of it is the switch to a 3-4 defense. Pete Carroll and new head coach, or excuse me, new uh, defensive coordinator Clint Hurt have assured reporters, no, 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 we switched to a 3-4, but that's not really a huge problem. We're just adjusting. We're fine. And while they say it's fine and it's totally okay, I do think it's a big adjustment for players. I mean, um, they had the person on paper to do it, it doesn't look like it in action. So I wouldn't be surprised to see one of two things happen. Number one, a little bit, not a flip back to a 4-3, but some adjustment to the scheme mm. to try to make the most of guys that are good. Uh, and two is just a general tightening up, hopefully, of the run game over time because the big guys that they have up on the defensive line, Al Woods and Puna Ford, those guys are good. They didn't just suddenly become bad. So, so they got to find a way to let those guys help the linebackers out but uh but right now the run game is 
as bad as I've seen it in my entire time covering this team. Stacy Joe Ross from uh, Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. Before we let you go, um, obviously the Seahawks, Seattle's a Seahawks town. It has been for a really long time. But I'm curious what the landscape is right now with Mariners fever. First time in 21 years the Mariners are in the playoffs and the crushing defeat in Game 1. Have the Seahawks taken a back seat uh, on the, the minds of the Seattle sports fan right now? Yes, it's so weird. It is. <laughs> it's wild, you guys. I gotta say, like, I mean, this team, this Mariners team, hasn't been in the playoffs since I was a child, uh, which is is very weird. Um, you know, seeing it now. But uh, normally, you'd go to Mariners games. I'm not sure how it is with like D-backs games or whatever. But you'd go to Mariners games, and there'd be people there starting Seahawks chants and 12 jerseys, which is. But side note, you didn't ask. But one of my biggest pet peeves: wear the jersey of the the team that you're going to. Thank but, you. Yeah, that yeah. aside. I know. Thank you. Right. God, it drives me crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, this team's excitement about the Mariners. I'm currently calling you guys from the surface lot outside of T-Mobile as they prepare for the ALDS uh, for Saturday's game. And um, it's it's just people are here early getting ready for it. Employees, obviously not fans. Right. And um, <laughs> there's just <laughs> we're all chipping in. Right. There's right. Just general general excitement. It's, it's I've never seen anything like it. So, yeah, Seahawks. Thankfully, this defense shows a great year to to be putrid. Yeah. Well, enjoy that experience. Yeah. It's been a while Thank since you, we've Stacey had that Joe. baseball appreciate experience. Stacy, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Stacy Joe Ross, part of the uh, Bump and Stacy show on Seattle Sports 710. She joined us here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. Uh, coming up next, as we speak on the week before the NBA season begins, you could count at least four NBA championship contenders with major chemistry questions. We'll get into all of them next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Thursday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Auction Community Studios. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Jared Carlin, Sarah Cazell with you until 10 o'clock. Um, we are a week away. Well, actually, a week from today, uh, we will be talking about the Phoenix Suns opener. Will it be a joyful talk? After uh, their game with Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks, will it be therapeutic? Uh-huh. Or will it be cause for strife? Mm. It really is a beautiful team to open with, isn't it? it oh, is. it's unbelievable. And the NBA is so great at setting up those matchups. <laughs> Not necessarily just for the Suns, but they're really good at it. Um, so that's about six days away. As we sit here right now, would you agree with me, Bick, in saying that there's there's plenty of contenders but the Brooklyn Nets, Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors, and Phoenix Suns are all contenders to win the championship right now? Yeah. Would you also agree that those four teams have major issues that they're dealing with? I, I think a lot of teams in the NBA are dealing with a lot of drama. I think the Warriors are dealing with drama. I think the Suns have been dealing with drama. I think the Nets, the Celtics. Who else? The, the, like, Who else is on the drive? The Lakers. Ah, who cares about that? Well, let's get into the Lakers yeah. real quick before we move on to these four teams. Okay. Uh, last night in a preseason game, there's one play, and, and ESPN, who televised the game, I thought this was interesting. They separated this one little clip, and they put it on the front page of their website today. Patrick Beverly calls for a team huddle after a foul, and everybody comes in. And, and when I mean everybody, LeBron James was on the floor. Mm -hmm. Anthony Davis was on the floor. I know, breaking news, Anthony Davis wore a uniform last night and played and didn't get hurt as far as I know. But Russell Westbrook was also on the floor. And 
Patrick Beverly's calling everybody in. And the other three players gather around Patrick Beverly. And Russell Westbrook was almost demonstrative in not joining the huddle. Just kind of bent over, pulled down the bottom of his shorts, yeah. and did his own thing. Not paying attention? They've got issues. They've got mm-hmm. talent. I don't know if they're a contender. Um, the reason why I bring this up is uh, because Kevin Durant, who plays on one of the teams we just mentioned, the, the Brooklyn Nets, he had some comments about the Golden State situation. What transpired last week between Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. Steve Kerr, the head coach, after that punch in practice and after Draymond Green left the team willingly and, and was um, you know punished behind the scenes mm-hmm. with a fine and not a suspension. He said this is the biggest ordeal we've ever gone through. In the 2018-2019 season when Durant was with Golden State, he and Draymond Green had a flap. That uh, spilled over, got heated. Uh, it, you know, it was visible to people on the court, and it kind of permeated throughout the organization. And most people believe had a hand in Kevin Durant leaving Golden State. Um, so when that happened last week, Bick, there was a lot of comparisons immediately to Draymond Green, Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant told ESPN, "Quote: That's not the same situation. Somebody got punched in the face. It's no comparison to that. It was just some words that being." I heard some people say that it uh, happens a lot in the NBA. I had never seen nothing like that before. But when me and Draymond did a few years back, that bleep happens all the time. So it's easy to get through something like that. But I don't know what the, uh, this situation is like. We talked about it earlier in the week. This this clear separation of, I've never seen anything like this before. And other people in the NBA saying this happens yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah. No, listen. And, and I think the truth is somewhere in between. I, I, I don't think it's uncommon. I don't think it's common. Um, it, it allegedly happened in Phoenix. There was a broken nose on Cam Johnson that mysteriously happened. Cam Johnson? Uh, so Broken uh, nose? So I, I think that basketball teams, the hardcore ones, they can they – can, get past this and I think it's pretty clear that Jordan Poole um, that Draymond Green is still in Golden State because Jordan Poole is okay with that for now. It is pretty obvious to me though that Draymond Green just sealed his end in Golden State. Draymond Green's contract is up after this coming season. He's not getting another contract from the Golden State Warriors. Jordan Poole is going to get his money and, and a lot of smart people think that was probably at the root of it all. That here's you got this young up and coming dude who's got the world in front of him, and Draymond knows uh, they're going to pay him and not me. I see. Draymond actually referenced that before this preseason before the incident popped up, and I don't know. Maybe I'm naive, but I thought Draymond Green was so honest and so open uh, about his feelings after that incident. Mm-hmm. That he, he was asked about it again, and he said, "No, it wasn't. It wasn't that at all." And he he pinned the, the situation on him being in a bad place at that time. Now it doesn't patch everything up, obviously. No, I just think of the teams. They are the defending champions, and if they decide to go into this season uh, and, and try to defend that title with Draymond Green on the roster. I think they are equipped to deal with this, maybe better than the Suns are with their situation, than the Nets are with their situation, and Boston with a much different situation uh, and, and dealing with a head coach yeah. who's, who's not there. But I, I think Golden State might be built to withstand this. Listen, I, I think I think Draymond Green has given a lot to that organization. I think he's kind of been their emotional leader for many years yes. running, and, and so he's got a lot of equity in the bank. So yes, I do agree that, that this is something that they probably can overcome. I don't necessarily believe Steve Kerr when he came out and said this is the biggest crisis we've ever faced. Because if it were, you might have penalized the guy. 
Right. And there's no repercussions of the crisis. So right. how is it a crisis? So it's not a crisis. Exactly. So I think You're just moving on as exactly. business so, as usual. So I think, I think he's just giving lip service to something in lieu of them actually doing anything substantial. Because I think well, at the end of it all, Jordan Poole said, no, man, I, listen, let's win basketball games. That's what I'm about. Yeah, except the, it's, the question is what else is going to come up now? Because that punch did not come from... A first time, like a comment that came out of nowhere. No. This was a long bubbling thing between the two of them, obviously, that he pushed the right button. And so, and, how, are they never going to get into it again the rest of the season? And your contention that, well, Jordan Poole started it, that's that's only half true. He's Draymond. It. Draymond got right up in him, I, hulking yes. over him. No, no, him. no. I, I don't think he. I, I, I'm saying, like, legally, if, if yeah. we were, when we were talking about, like, if they were it, in front of Judge Wapner or something like that, or Judge Judy. Physically, he he actually you know pushed him first, but but Draymond was the one that escalated it. Yeah, he was the aggressor. He, he was he the aggressor. Antagonized him to yeah. get the, the push. So, the push was a result of get out of my personal space, dude. Yeah, right, exactly. Jordan Poole would say it was self defense that this hulking, menacing dude was yeah. was lording over me. Yeah, and Draymond will say like, well, he was. You should have heard what he said. Made me react that way. Okay. So with with the drama surrounding yeah. the, those four teams you mentioned, how would you rank them in how much the drama will actually affect them this season? Uh, the most to the least? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go Brooklyn 1, Boston 2, Phoenix 3, Golden State really? 4. Yeah. Why are you surprised by that? Because to, to me... The the one actual thing we know is that Golden State has two players that hate each other that don't like no, each other. No, we don't know that. We don't know that. Right. Yeah, they don't like each other. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. But they didn't the, like each other for one. Their day. culture has been really, really good. The Phoenix, the Phoenix things is is so much unknown about where. Uh, all the players stand and DeAndre well, okay. and the coach and let's, stuff like let's, that. Let's dial in on that now. Um, there's been a lot of reporting about this that if you're just going to focus on DA's state of mind, DA, if DA is unhappy about his contract and the way the Suns handled his contract, there's been a lot of reporting that he blames that on the outgoing owner. Okay, so if his unhappiness is with Robert Sarver, then he probably will not have an issue here. But I don't really think he's got much of an issue anyways. I think he's happy because he got paid. I think at the end of it all, I don't think he's got any issues. He'll get over it. I think the team's got more issues with him than he does with the team. That's fair. And so it, it's really going to be what does the t- how does the team handle him and what does that create? As Bill Simmons said, first bit of adversity is, is D.A. checking out. Is it, uh, who knows? I, I mean, but I do think the way Vinny ranked those are right. Yeah. I think Boston and Brooklyn. There's a, there's a high degree of it. Well, because, Brooklyn's number one because well, they still have Kyrie Irving. Uh, they have Kyrie Irving, and they've got a superstar who asked for the jobs of the coach and the GM. That that doesn't just get erased. And look, Steve Nash is a legend here. Is anybody confident he can? Right. He can handle yeah. all three of those guys. No. There you go. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next, Sarah will take us through another edition Let's of Social it. Studies. Bickley and Murata Mornings, ninety-eight-seven FM, Arizona Sports Station.